Okay, guys, if you want to grab your Bible and open it up to Job chapter 29. Job chapter 29, grab a notebook and pen as well, if you're note takers. Um, let me just say thank you to those of you that have been in touch off the back of this series of Job. It's been really encouraging to hear your questions and um, to hear how Job has uh, helped you um, through difficult times. If you are wanting to get a bit deeper into Job, um, then can I recommend a commentary by Christopher Ashe called The Wisdom of the Cross. Um, I've referenced Christopher a number of times because I find him so helpful. Uh, and I remember just one summer sitting down with the book of Job and with Christopher's commentary and it really helped me understand what is a very complicated book. So I would wholeheartedly recommend um, buying that and using that to get a bit deeper into Job. Um, so Job chapter 29, that's where we're going to be. This is the final speech of a man who has suffered immensely. Uh, he's had to listen to the daft speeches of his unwise friends who have told him that the reason he is suffering is because God is punishing him for, for some sins that he's committed, uh, which we know from reading the start of this book, um, that is not true. Job is a good, faithful, godly man. And we saw last week that the thing that was ultimately missing from the speeches of Job's friends was wisdom. Wisdom, we were saying, is like the architecture of the universe, how and why life works. Job's friends have no clue, even though they think they do. But what we saw was that wisdom begins not by looking at the architecture of the universe, but by looking to the architect of the universe. It's not the why question, it's the who question that is much more important in suffering. So we were left with that, that great last verse at the end of chapter 28, which I think is the key verse for the entire book. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil, understanding. Now that leads us on nicely to chapter 29, because Job was a man who feared God and shunned evil. And these are his last words, the last words of a wise man who has been broken by his suffering. Let's read it then. Job 29. Job continued his discourse. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil, when I went to the gate of the city and took my seat in the public square, the young men saw me and stepped aside and the old men rose to their feet. The chief men refrained from speaking and covered their, hands with their, covered their mouths with their hands. The voices of the nobles were hushed and their tongues stuck to the roof of their mouths. Whoever heard me spoke well of me and those who saw me commended me because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The one who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. I thought, I shall die in my own house. 
my days as numerous as the grains of sand. My roots will reach to the water, and the dew will lie all night on my branches. My glory will not fade. The bow will be ever new in my hand. People listened to me expectantly, waiting in silence for my counsel. After I'd spoken, they spoke no more. My words fell gently on their ears. They waited for me as for showers and drank in my words as the spring rain. When I smiled at them, they scarcely believed it. The light of my face was precious to them. I chose the way for them and sat as their chief. I dwelt as a king among his troops. I was like one who comforts mourners. But now they mock me. Men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs, of what use was the strength of their hands to me, since their vigour had gone from them? Haggard from want and hunger, they roamed the parched land in desolate wastelands at night. And the brush they gathered salt herbs, and their food was the root of the broom bush. They were banished from human society, shouted at as if they were thieves. They were forced to live in the dry stream beds, among the rocks and holes in the ground. They brayed among the bushes and huddled in the undergrowth. A base and nameless brood, they were driven out of the land. And now those young men mock me in song. I have become a byword among them. They detest me, keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. Now that God has unstrung my bow and afflicted me, they throw off restraint in my presence. On my right, the tribe attacks, they lay snares for my feet, they build their siege ramps against me. They break up my road, they succeed in destroying me. No one can help him, they say. They advance as though a, uh, as through a gaping breach amid the ruins they come rolling in. Terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pain never rests. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? And yet when I hoped for evil, when I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stop. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels, my body burns with fever. My lyre is turned to mourning and my pipe to the sound of wailing. Uh, Job then goes on to list some sins that he is telling God he is innocent of. And uh, just look at the end of chapter 31, verse 35. Look at chapter 31, verse 35. This is how he finishes his speech. Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I sign now my defence. Let the Almighty answer me. 
Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. Surely I would wear it on my shoulder. I would put it on like a crown. I would give him an account of, ev- of my every step. I would present it to him as to a ruler. If my land cries out against me and all its furrows are wet with tears, if I have devoured its yield without payment or broken the spirit of its tenants, then let briars come up instead of wheat and stinkweed instead of barley. The words of Job. Are ended. Let me pray and then we'll look at this passage of scripture together. Fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So Father, we need wisdom for when we suffer and therefore we need to learn to fear you and to shun evil as your servant Job did. Help us please to Treat you with respect, with dignity, with reverence, with awe, with majesty. Help us to see you as bigger and ourselves as smaller. And so speak to us now through the final words of your servant Job. Give us wisdom, we pray. And above all, may we see Jesus. For he is our hope. He is our lifeline. He is our anchor in the storm. So may we see him, we pray. In his name, amen. Well, the words of Job are ended. I wonder what you would like your last words to be, your final speech. Um, I googled um, famous last words, found some crackers. Uh, Apparently the last words of Winston Churchill before he died were, I'm bored of this. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci Famous painter, you know, the guy who painted the Mona Lisa. Uh, His last words before he died were, I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. Uh, Which makes me feel a bit worried about uh, some of my artwork from college. Uh, But my favourite one was from uh, some American general in the Civil War. And I've I've not written down his name. I've forgotten what it was. But he was making a comment about the opposition snipers and his last words before he died were, they could not hit an elephant from here. What would you like your last words to be? What would your last statement be? Or or, um, more seriously, what do you think would be the most important words you could say about yourself to God, your maker? This is the last word of Job before he gets some answers. Um, It's a very moving speech. Um, Again, it's very raw. There is stuff that he says here that's very close to the bone and he will get rebuked for it by God. But on the whole, we must remember that God commends Job. Remember, Job is a good godly man and we're told at the, the end of the book, God says that Job spoke what was right about me. So here's what I want to do with this speech. I want to just kind of walk through what's actually being said here. And then we're going to draw out two big applications that have everything to do with God and suffering. So we're going to walk through it and we'll draw out these two big applications at the end. So let's see what Job's saying. I think there's three parts to this divided by the three chapters. So firstly, in chapter 29, Job longs for his past friendship with God. In chapter 30, Job laments his present separation from God. And in chapter 31, 
Job pleads his innocence before God. That's the three parts of the speech uh, and we'll walk through them in turn. So firstly then, Job longs for his past friendship with God. Suffering, um, suffering changes your world. It flips it up to upside down and sometimes that is irreversible. You've lost something that you feel you will never get back. I think even just now with what we're going going through um, nationally, globally, there is a sense in which people don't expect the world to go back to what it was before this lockdown. And in Job's suffering, he looks back to the life before his pain, before his humiliation, and he longs to have that life again. Look at what he says in verse 2. How I long for the months gone by, for the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head and by his light I walked through darkness. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house, when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me, when my path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for me streams of olive oil. See, this is what you've got to understand about Job. Job was a man who loved God. So Job's cries in his suffering are not the cry of someone who doesn't care about God and now is suddenly wanting God to intervene and help them. Job is a faithful believer and before all this suffering, he felt, well, well he felt that God was his friend. God's lamp shone on him. It's language that implies that, that he felt you know, that God was always with him. In the days of his prime, before he lost everything, he felt that his household had an intimate connection, and an intimate friendship with God. Ah, oh, says Job, I long for those days. I long for the days when the world made sense, the days when, when, when I had my children. Remember, this is a man who's lost all his kids. I, I long for those days when I had my kids and when I was so sure that the almighty God who made the heavens and the earth was with me. I long for the day, God, when, when I knew that we were friends. What were those days like? He tells us, eh, mentions in verse 6, that his path was drenched with cream and the rock poured out for him streams of olive oil. Um, that just means that he had these abundant blessings that God gave him. He longs for the days when not only had he been given these blessings by God, but he himself was a blessing to others. He, he longs for the days when, when the world made sense to him. We see what Job was like in verse 7 to 25, what, what he was like in those days, how he treated other people. He, he was a man treated with great dignity and respect because Job spent most of his life seeking to be a blessing to others. That's what happens when, when you're friends with the God of grace, you inevitably want to show grace to others. And that's what Job was like in those days. So he would go out into the city square, verse 7. Um, imagine the town centre here in Dundee, the town square, um, pre-lockdown when it would be full of people imagine there just like a, a podium and then somebody going stepping up on that podium and, and all the crowds just being quiet and being hushed 
because they wanted to hear what this man said because here was a man that everyone knew, that everyone respected. That was Job. Even the nobles, he tells us in verse 10, they were silenced. Job was so well respected by everyone, not because he was a wealthy guy, but because of what's described of him in verse 11 to 17. He cared for the poor, for the widow, for the fatherless. He did the seeing for those who were blind. He did the walking for those who were lame. He was viewed by the people of his time as a righteous judge. Verse 14, I put on righteousness as my clothing, justice was my robe and my turban. And verse 18 makes it clear that Job thought that because of all those things and because he was friends with God and he was involved in God's work, Job thought that he was going to die of old age and his family round about him. This was a man who was godly and compassionate. Just notice at the very end as well, in verse 25, Job sat among his people like a king. Now that is very significant. Job was treated like he was God's king. You know, I think the original readers of Job, the the ancient Israelites, would read this and see that Job is portrayed here as a portrait of what God's king should be like. That intimate connection, that closeness, that, that blessing and being a blessing to others. This is God's friend doing God's work, acting like God's king. And oh, how Job longed for those days. Because now, everything has changed. Chapter 30, verse 1. A terrible but. But now. And this is the second part of the speech we see here. That that Job laments his present separation from God but now they mock me men younger than I whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheep dogs so this is a man who was once so respected in society but now God has stripped him of everything and everyone's just taken the mick out of him even the biggest low lives that you can imagine are ridiculing Job What a reversal we have here. Here we have someone who was treated like a king. Now he is treated like he is the scum of the earth. I was trying to think of um, some examples of this. I'm sure there's a few you can think of. But um, one of the things that you should know about me is that I'm a bit of a nerd for history. Especially Russian history. And I was watching a documentary series on Netflix about the Russian Revolution uh, that that's me living it up in the lockdown. That's how we roll in the Robertson household. But it was all about how the people of Russia managed to overthrow the king and, and start the world's first communist government. And the king at that time was a man called Tsar Nicholas uh, Romanov. And you see, before the people revolted, Nicholas Romanov was this wealthy ruler in Russia. I mean, he had everything. It was outrageous. They had these massive... Um, golden palaces that they lived in. He would be met with joy from crowds of people, millions of people that would come out and hear him speak and celebrated his birthday. But then 
the revolution happened and he was driven out of his palace. He was um, stripped of all his possessions. He lost his dignity and him and his entire family were exiled off to Siberia where they were eventually executed. In fact, the communist soldiers who were guarding him used to go in to that room in Siberia and mock him and make fun of him and spit in his face. The very men who had once called him king. And that's what's happened to Job. He's mocked and he is mocked by the lowest of the low. Look at verse 9. Now these young men mock me in song. I've become a byword among them. Job is, is laughed about. They're down the pub and they're, they're singing songs about his misfortune and how cursed he is. His name is a byword. You can imagine people at this time talking about becoming a Job. You know, to become a Job would be to be under a curse, to be considered worthless. The kids would be saying to one another, oh, I hope I don't become a Job. You see, life under God's smile is what Job thought he had in chapter 29. But life under God's judgment is what he feels he now has in chapter 30. He is hated. He is isolated. He has lost everything. His money, his job. His wife can't stand to be near him. He's lost all his children. And night after night, Job has been crying out to God, why, why, why? Look at verse 18. He's, he's basically saying uh, in, in verse 18 of chapter 30, in his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. Um, a better translation of that is, I feel that God is choking me. He feels like he is sinking. That he's been tossed about like a rag doll. He has cried out and he has heard nothing but deafening silence. He says in verse 20, I cry to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. Or a better translation would be, God, you have become cruel to me. And the worst bit is, in all of this, you're saying nothing. Why are you silent? Do you see, it's not just the fact he suffered. It's not just that he's lost all his dignity, his health, his children, his job, his prosperity. It's not that all those things have gone. It's the fact that God won't speak to him. Is this how God treats his friends? I thought I was in a right standing with you. And, and from verse 24 to 31, he's basically saying there, I treated others with kindness because I was following you, God. So why didn't you treat me with kindness? What is tormenting Job in this final speech? Is that, he doesn't know whether or not he's on God's side. In fact, he feels that God is against him. And he doesn't know why. And so he closes, closes with this third and, and final section of his speech in which he pleads his innocence before God. In chapter 31, Job pleads his innocence before God. He wants to know, why God are you treating me like I'm an unrepentant sinner? And so in his final words, he brings forth charges that God might have against him. And, and he asks to be judged on these actions. 
Okay, God, if, if you're good, show me, show me why you're punishing me. I want you to know, chapter 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. In other words, why does he begin that way? Because Job's making the point that it wasn't just kind of outward displays of kindness, that Job took purity seriously, that Job wanted his inside to match his outside, his thoughts to be pure as well as as his actions. And he says, God, I know that that's important and I have fought to be pure in this area. And then in the rest of chapter 31, he lists sins that he would deserve punishment for had he committed them. But he's making the point, I have never committed them. Now, we don't have time just to read through it all, but certainly read it yourself. And look at, look at what this man was like. He pleads his innocence in areas of adultery, of injustice, greed, violence, trusting in his wealth, idolatry, vindictiveness, a lack of hospitality or, and hypocrisy. Job, Job is um, he's boldly calling God out and he's saying, look, I want you to convict me because I know that I am innocent of these things. Now, he's not claiming to be perfect and to be sinless. Did you just have a look at verse 33? See what he says there? If I have concealed my sin, as people do, by hiding guilt in my heart. You see, he knows that he's not sinless, but he's saying to God, look, if I've been a hypocrite and not confessed my sin to you, if I've not been transparent, then I should be punished. But I've been honest, God, and you promised me forgiveness. And so he calls on God. In the last words of Job, I sign now my defense, verse 35. Answer me, God. This is um, it's kind of like the closing speech that maybe you might see in, in a court trial. Job has been on the defense, but it's almost like it shifts and, and he becomes the prosecution And he seems to be calling God now. God, you come and step in the dock and answer why you have allowed this to happen to me. And if I've done anything wrong, I'll wear it on my shoulder. I'll wear my charge list. You can staple it to my shoulder and I'll walk around with it. If I have done anything wrong, answer me and let me be cursed. The words of Job are ended. And they are. But the book of Job is not. Job has been very bold here. And like I said, there's stuff he said about God that is not true and that will require require rebuke, first of all, from another friend called Elihu and then by God himself. But what are we to make of this final speech? Are we to take this seriously? I mean, we can sympathize with Job, but doesn't it feel like he's kind of, like he's bigging himself up? Does Job expect God to take him seriously? Well, what's surprising is that God takes Job's speech very seriously. Job really was a man with integrity like no other. This is not exaggeration. This is what he was like. And what he went through was terrible. 
God has been called to the dock and he will answer. But for now, what wisdom can we glean from this final speech? Well, I think there's two huge points here that are practical and important. Firstly, this speech helps us understand Jesus. Secondly, this speech shows us the importance of justification. The two points here, Jesus and justification. Jesus, what has this got to do with Jesus? Answer, everything. And we need to start there. If we are to have any wisdom or fear of the Lord, if we are to have any hope in suffering, then we need to take our eyes off ourselves and look to Jesus. And that's hard because suffering can make you very introspective. But we must look to him. You see, Job is a person like us. That's why he's so... Um, relatable and that's why the book of Job is so powerful I think for a lot of people because what he says is often what we can feel especially about God in times of hardship but there's something about Job that there's something about Job that kind of stands out as unique and it's meant to you know at the very start of the book God says about Job there is no one on earth like him And in this speech here, we kind of see how unique he is. I mean, no one has really been to the heights that Job reached in chapter 29. And no one will have fallen to the depths that Job reached in chapter 30. And in chapter 31, wouldn't we like to say that we are innocent of all these sins? But I doubt many of us could say we are as righteous as Job was. The greatness of Job, the suffering of Job, the righteousness of Job, it's extreme. And that is because Job, whilst definitely a real man in history, was always to be a pointer to somebody else. You know, when uh, Jesus read the Old Testament with his disciples in Luke chapter 24, he made the point to them that everything here in the Old Testament, including the book of Job, All of it was a pointer towards him, the truly innocent sufferer. Just think of the the greatness that Job longed for in chapter 29, that intimate friendship um, with God. He was like a king who would bring justice to the poor and the downtrodden. Well, think of Jesus, God's son, in the closest intimate relationship possible. He is God's king the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And what was he like? Someone who made the blind see and made the lame walk. Chapter 29, verse 15 says, a king who was humble and caring, one clothed in righteousness and justice, a friend of sinners, a voice of wisdom that stunned and silenced everyone who heard his words. He was great. He is great beyond all comprehension. And yet what happened to him? Think of Job's suffering in chapter 30, how far he fell, how he became the object of mockery, how he he felt that there was just silence from God. That is nothing in comparison to Jesus. God's king, crowned not with gold, but with thorns. Clothed in purple, not out of worship, but out of mockery. 
lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross. The crowd that used to listen to him cried, crucify him. They spat on him, they slapped him, they beat him, they tortured him. And we're talking about not just any person here. This is the son of God. The maker of the heavens and the earth. But worse than that was that he, that as he was being crucified, worse than the, the torment that was poured onto him and the, the ridicule by the people round about him, worse than any of that was the fact that as he was being crucified, he was being punished by God. The truly innocent one on the cross had the anger of God for our sins poured out on him. And the torment it caused him was so great. Jesus didn't just shake that off. The torment he faced was so overwhelming that the night before his crucifixion, he is on his knees in a garden and he is praying to God, if there's any other way, please let it come to pass. And he is met with deafening silence because there was no other way. There was no other way he could save us. And and the anguish of that was so great that he literally sweat drops of blood. And that's so shocking because Jesus was the only truly righteous, innocent one. Think of Job's innocence in chapter 31. Well, Jesus was perfectly innocent, perfectly pure, in every way, unlike us. And yet this perfect, innocent one suffered in a way that no other person will ever suffer. What does that mean? That changes everything when we think about God and our suffering. I mean, in Jesus, think about that. We have someone who has been right down in the dirt of life, who's been where we've been and worse. And so he is, as as Hebrews 4 says, the great high priest who is able to feel sympathy for our every weakness. He's been there. But not only has he been there, he was there for a purpose. God used that suffering. The greatest example of the innocent suffering, the greatest example of an innocent person's suffering that has ever been in history, God used that to bring about the greatest thing that has ever happened in history our salvation. And if God can use that incident to bring about something great, then maybe he can do it with the suffering in our lives. In fact, he definitely will. You see, we want to cry, why? Why me? But you need to also think, why Jesus? I mean, he was perfect. Why did he suffer? Well, we know he suffered and died so that we could be justified. And that's the second point of of, um, application that we see from Job's final speech. The importance of justification. Uh, Justification is a word that a lot of you might not be familiar with, especially some of you that have um, just been Christians for a short while. But it's a hugely important word in the Bible. And it just means simply to be made right with God. It means to be declared by God as righteous. And that, is that not at the very heart of what Job wants in his final speech? He wants to know that God is his friend. He wants to know that he is in a right standing with God. 
but we could never be in a right standing before God without Jesus. We fail because we are not righteous. We are unrighteous. We are all messed up sinners. But praise God that Jesus changes that. In his suffering, on the cross, he suffered the punishment that I deserve in my place. And he suffered the punishment that I deserve. He suffered in my place so that my standing before God would change. So that I could be justified. You see, this is what it means to be justified. This is what Jesus has done. Three things. Firstly, it means you are forgiven of all the wrong that you have said and thought and done. Jesus wipes the slate clean. But secondly, not only are you forgiven, you are made righteous. It's like we give Jesus all that's messed up with us. He suffers the punishment for it and he gives us all that is right with him. So you can say like like Job in chapter 31, you are not guilty, not because of anything we've achieved, but because of what Jesus has achieved for us. We are forgiven, we are made righteous, and thirdly and most wonderfully, we are adopted. We are brought into God's family. He loves us like he loves his own son. Forgiven, righteous, adopted. That's what it means to be justified. And it's what Jesus gives to all who repent and follow him. Oh, how Job longed to know where he stood with God. We do. We know it with certainty and we must hold on to it because there may come a time where we feel like Job in chapter 30 that God has been cruel. We feel that God is choking us with silence. But when we understand that we are justified, we realise no matter what is happening to me, it is not because God is punishing me. It can't be. All the punishment I deserve went on Jesus. No matter what is happening to me, it can't be that he doesn't care. He let his own son be strung up like a piece of meat, tortured and and humiliated and suffer that unimaginable torment for my sin, just to, to make this sinner righteous, to make this enemy his friend. So he obviously cares. No matter what is happening to me, it cannot be that God has left me. Even if he is silent, he can't leave me. Because he gave up everything just to get me. This is not the end. This is not the end of the book of Job. It's not the end for us. Being justified, we know that we will be with God and the pain that we experience in this world will be used only to serve our joy in the world to come. That nostalgia we have for a better world that Job had in chapter 29, that nostalgia will be realized at the end when we are with Jesus. I'm going to pray and we're going to close by singing two hymns. We sang this first one last week, but I wanted to sing it again because it ties into everything that we've been saying. It's a song called It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, And it was written by a man called Horatio Spafford, a great name. Uh, But he wrote this song after he lost his four daughters. They were tragically killed in an accident in sea. And just note the words that we're about to sing. Because justification was his lifeline. Let me pray and then we'll sing. 
Father, thank you that Jesus, the perfect, innocent Son of God, has come and has suffered that unimaginable torment so that we could be justified. Father, sometimes it's hard to to hold on to that when we feel life has just fallen apart. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes it feels distant or we feel numb to the greatness of it. Please awaken our hearts to see what you have already done for us so that we can know that we are forgiven, we have been made righteous, and that we are adopted so that we can know we are justified. Job wanted to be in a right standing with you. And all who come to Jesus can know that they are in a right standing with you. Father, help us to hold on to that great truth in times of trial and difficulty. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.